Homily for the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time, August 19th, 2018. St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. As I begin today, I need to, I don't necessarily want to, but I need to briefly address the barrage of bad news that we've endured this week about the church in the United States. And parents with little ones, I assure you that I will speak only in general terms, given the delicate subject matter. In the book of Leviticus, God instructed Moses to tell the people, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In the Gospel of St. Luke, Jesus said, Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. As has so often been the case, the problem the church has is a holiness problem. I refuse to make excuses for church personnel who have violated those under their care. I will simply say that conversion of heart and chastity are not obsolete, but remain the tools at our disposal to love and serve in Jesus' name. A Catholic blogger named Susanna Spencer put it this way, I do not think it is too much to expect that ordained clergy actively seek holiness, And along with holiness comes the formation of all the virtues. If we in the church do not encourage and demand chaste behavior of each other, then we will become no better than the secular culture that thinks the only limits on sexual behavior are age and consent. For his part, Archbishop Samuel Aquila, formerly here in Fargo and now in Denver, wrote an excellent heartfelt letter to the people of his archdiocese, raising the very same points. That letter is found on the diocesan website for Denver. Reports of evil misdeeds, such as we have heard this past week, are agonizing for those of us who love the body of Christ, and sickening to the point of nausea and revulsion. However, it would be far worse for us if victims were not acknowledged and heard. If you or someone you know has been victimized by a clergy member or church worker, please contact the Diocese of Fargo and allow us to offer healing and assistance. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? We shouldn't judge our Lord's opponents in today's gospel too harshly. First of all, if the Eucharist were a brand new concept to us, how do we think we might react? We can understand their objection, not only because of how impossible the idea in itself seemed to them, but for other reasons too. Cannibalism was one of that society's greatest taboos, and blood was considered sacred as a physical life force. Without it, you would be dead. Hence, Jews refused to eat the flesh of any animal with blood commingled in it. Aware of all this, Jesus does not back away or reverse course, but doubles down. Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. What we call the Eucharist is not optional or on the fringes, but is the path on which we must travel if we will be God's holy people. There simply is no detour. As Jesus was bold here, so are we. It would be easy to cave into our doubts and to make excuses, as so many others have done. 
to try to capitulate, as many of the reformers did five centuries ago. We do not shrink from the truth. The church confronts us with this message in its darkness. Do we understand what we are doing when we receive Holy Communion? Can we explain to someone how it is that we truly receive Christ's body and blood and are not cannibals? The best way, I think, to explain this mystery of our faith is to use a little bit of philosophy. Every object can be described in two ways, in its substance and in its characteristics. Here's an example. This is a pulpit, but it has dimensions of height and width. It is made of granite, and so on. Shorten it a few inches, and it is still a pulpit. Only an external characteristic is changed. Another example is a balding man. He is the same person after as before, but with one external trait missing. Nearly all changes that occur in this world are of this kind. But there are examples in nature in which both the substance of something and its characteristics change. Think of what a forest fire does to a tree. It singes its leaves and bark, and it reduces the tree itself to ashes. However, it is very rare to witness a substantial change in which the outward characteristics remain the same after as before. And that's precisely what happens in the Eucharist. The bread and wine retain their properties of taste, smell, and appearance. Basically, everything one can scientifically observe. But, but the substance of the elements changes into the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. No microscope or laboratory can demonstrate this truth. God reveals it to us by faith. How this happens is not due to the personal abilities of the priest as a man, but due to the grace of ordination. Christ the High Priest confects the Eucharist through his word and the power of the Sacrament of Holy Orders. This is not magic, but a mystical property bestowed to his church. Opponents of Catholicism have attempted to deride this belief through the ages by means of mockery. The phrase hocus pocus is a mimicking of the Latin hoc est corpus meum, this is my body, taken from the Eucharistic prayer at Mass. I try never to use the phrase hocus pocus because of its sacrilegious origin. At the Mass, we are able to sacramentally receive the body and blood of the risen Christ who suffered and died once for all. There is no cannibalism in play because there is no re-crucifying of the Lord Jesus. The Mass is the representation of his sacrifice in sacramental form for the benefit of all Christians in all times and all places. Our use of a tabernacle attests to the fact that the substance of the bread has changed into the body of Christ and doesn't change back after a period of time. It would be a sacrilege, to take unconsumed consecrated hosts after a Mass and put them back in a sacristy cabinet, or worse yet, toss them in the trash. Priests and extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion take great care to make sure that when someone receives Holy Communion in the hand, for example,
they consume the host immediately, rather than running the risk of it being mistreated or used for any nefarious purpose. The church soon came to realize that Jesus abides in our midst in a unique way in the Eucharistic species. Originally, Moses and the Israelites set up the tabernacle tent to house the Ark of the Covenant during their 40-year journey to the Promised Land. Today, tabernacles in our churches house not only a symbol of divinity, but the sacred body of the Son of God himself. The evidence Jesus gave that he meant what he said quite literally lies in the translation of the verb to eat. St. John used a specific verb in Greek which refers primarily to the action of eating rather than the purpose of feeding or nourishment. I like to use the illustration of a caveman, half-starved, tearing into a turkey drumstick. That tactile mode of gnawing and devouring is the word Jesus uses each time he tells the crowd that they are to eat his flesh and drink his blood. There's one last thing I wish to mention today about the Eucharist. St. Paul told the Christians in Corinth that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. To examine ourselves and discern, then, requires that we take seriously how we are disposed and what our motivation is. Do we come forward for communion because we want to join in with everyone else, or because we don't want to stand out? Did St. Paul say anything in his instruction to the Corinthians about those reasons? Mortal sin is not a popular topic, but we need to address it. Would you walk away from a spilled glass of milk or juice in your kitchen as though it did not need wiping up? Similarly, mortal sin doesn't go away by our ignorance of it or by wishing it away. God has the unfailing remedy in the sacrament of confession. God, and not the world, has the pathway to holiness. And it consists of far more than we could have dared ask for on our own. Amen.